0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live.
1: Well, I'm going to stop that before I have a heart attack. Uh, It's quite pressured, isn't it? Quite uh, demanding, that music. Uh, So don't panic. We're on the twilight hour, not the twiglit hour. Um, Although, you know, it could be Marmite. It could be something that you like or something that you hate. Um, I'm your host for the next 90 minutes, although it might feel like four hours or 17 minutes. uh, Stephen Lockyer, Mr. Lockyer Online, um, Monday to Friday. And uh, I'm going to talk to you for... Yes, the next hour and a half on a range of things, but by my biggest passion is primary teaching. I am primarily a primary teacher. I teach three days a week currently, and I've taught in a whole range of different locations and settings um, for quite a few years now. Coming up for 25, um, and when I tell the children that I'm almost 30, there's, there's more skepticism in their eyes now than there used to be. When I was 30, uh, sadly. Um, anyway, I've got the basis of a show here in my head. And my idea being that I'm going to base it like a Teach Meet. Now, Teach Meets were these brilliant, brilliant um, free CPD events that schools used to run um, all over the place. And it was a great way to socialize and mi- mix with people. And uh, I loved going to Teach Meets. Um, and the great thing about it was that anyone could speak and they could speak for either two minutes or seven minutes. Um, And what was fantastic about that was that if the person who was speaking wasn't particularly appealing or the topic wasn't something that floated your boat, um, you didn't have to worry because like in eight minutes time or even three minutes time, something different would happen. Now, Unfortunately, you do have my dulcet tones for the next 90 minutes. Um, I've got some excerpts from other things, but you do have my voice talking to you for the next 90 minutes. But I'm basing it on Teach Me Ideals, which is that I've got a whole load of features that I'm going to talk about. So if there's something that doesn't um, get you excited or interested, don't panic because in another couple of minutes, something else will be turning up. I won't be focusing on one thing exclusively for the next 90 minutes. Um, in all honesty i can't focus on anything for 90 minutes even a film i have to hide my phone away um but it's a good measure isn't it if a film's not engaging then uh you can tell that because you've checked your phone anyway um so a whole range of features that i'm hoping to cover that that hopefully will be interesting hopefully will uh, engage you and uh hopefully will get some form of response from you if you're interested or not interested in those things um, but for now, I'm going to try and cover as much as I can in terms of ideas that are fresh and relevant for me that might be useful to you. Starting with this Appy Teacher. Yes, Appy Teacher is a feature that I've added because I think it's really important to get an idea of the things that can be useful in class and out of class as a teacher in terms of websites and apps that you use. And I'm thinking about one specifically that I use an awful lot, probably I would say between 20 minutes and 30 minutes a day. Um, It's not social media based, shockingly, um, but it's absolutely brilliant in terms of organising myself, both my workflow and ideas. And it's an app called Notion. That's N-O-T. T-I-O-N, Notion. And effectively, it is a very glorified note-taking app. It's really, really functional, really useful app that I use so much in terms of organising myself because you can add notes to it as pages and you can organise those pages and those pages can have hyperlinks or graphics. You can put columns in them and it's very simple, and I think the power of it is that it's it's got great functionality. It's really really effective in terms of organising yourself. So if I consider the way that I use Notion, I have several ways that I use it. The first thing is that I use it as a tracker. So I track certain things. Uh, every day, I track um, my weight. I track. How far I've run and how many words I've written every single day. Um, and so I use that as a tracking device. It's really good. You can create a table really quickly. Um, and if you are very clever with Notion, you can use it as a database device. Um, don't have much use for databases, I'll be honest with you. But it's fantastic to use um, in that sense just to keep track of things because it's really easy to add the data. It syncs seamlessly. So I can update it on my phone in bed. And when I turn on the laptop and open the Notion screen, it appears perfectly uh, on perfectly formatted, exactly as I've typed it. Second thing I use it for is for writing. So as I said, I write every single day. It's a good discipline to have. I'm not saying it's perfect or great writing at all, but I do write every single day. And I find that Notion is fantastic for that. Uh, the one downside is that it doesn't have spell check, and um, but online on Chrome I use. Grammarly, which is really really handy, Um, but I do love the fact that I can type into it and it's distraction free. It's a plain white screen; you just type. You've got two choices of font. That's it. Uh, So you can't fuss around or tinker too much. There is lots under the bonnet. It's incredibly powerful, but in terms of just writing, it's brilliant. Does have other downsides? For example, you can't select a section of text and work out and do a word count of that. Um, But, you know, it's not perfect. It's not going to be perfect for everyone. What I would say is worth trying it out. Try out uh, Notion and give it a go. I I know that lots of teachers use it now. I know um, Neil Ormond uses it. I know that Tom Rogers uses it. Uh, If you use it, uh, let me know. Um, or let me know on Twitter what you use it for. Uh, the one thing I would say about it is, it's an app that I'd be happy to pay for, but I haven't yet. It does have a thousand unit limit, and despite using it all the time, I've have never got to the point that I've had to pay for it. It's something that I would pay for if it came to the point where it said you're going to have to use uh, some funds now to to pay a subscription for it. I would absolutely use it. Um, and pay for it but I but I haven't got there yet maybe I'm just very very efficient I doubt it somehow anyway that's uh, my recommendation as an appy teacher it'd be fantastic I met I missed out one key feature is that you can collaborate with it it's really really good for collaboration if I had friends I'd collaborate with them on it but you can have a little team put a team together and then everyone can contrib- contribute to the document I know that step lab the uh, coaching team, I think they use Notion uh, all the time, uh, which is um, a fantastic use and I'd love to see their user case for it. Um, But but it's really, really worthwhile, really worth exploring. So uh, that's Notion, I'd highly recommend it. And now I do have, uh, uh, I've, I've got some things that I've got to play, we've got some new advertisers that I'd like to support. Um, so, I've been asked to play the adverts. So I appreciate that you're listening to this free, but obviously it needs to be funded. Um, and so, we've got some really good uh, sponsors uh, and advertising campaigns with key educational teams as well as new entrepreneurs. Um, so, uh, let's give them our support if we can, please. Hey, we've all done it rushed to the staff room to make a cup of tea, then taken it back to our classroom, forgotten about it, and then drunk it cold and over brewed well now don't even have the hassle of going to the staff room simply drink cult cult is a cold tea alternative it's literally cold tea but without that tangy metallic taste of those cheap beakers that you use at work cult drink cold tea brewed by us a little advert there for cult Um, very very popular um, in lots of um, schools now for those, especially those people who enjoy Huel. Colt is a, it's a canned alternative, cold tea. It's a cracking idea um, and also environmentally quite sensible because you don't have to hang around the urn at work. Uh, now, I would like to think that I'm quite good in terms of coming up with ideas and I'd like to talk about that a little bit further and hopefully go through a few thought experiments with you. This could be a disaster. But we'll see how it goes. Copper bottoming. Uh, so I've called this feature copper bottoming. It's I've got not, no prejudice against um, intimate parts being made out of metal. Rather, it's based on the character in Robots, Rodney Copperbottom. And he had a motto, see a need, fill a need. And I think that is just brilliant. I loved that. And uh, I have taken that as sort of a, a motto because... I think that it's absolutely possible to come up with ideas that we should share. And if you look in your classroom and look around your classroom, everything in there has been invented and has almost certainly been invented by a teacher or someone working in education. They have literally copper-bottomed, they have seen a need and filled a need. So I'd like you to consider all the areas in your classroom that need a little bit of work little bit of support something that is missing a gap that is missing a tool that you would need and then consider how you could produce it how you could make it because so much is possible in terms of producing your own resources but we often think of things come up with ideas and are uncertain about producing them any further than that Um I don't have those doubts. I have the, the gift of um, white male self-belief in terms of thinking that I can come up with an idea and I can solve a problem really, really quickly. And I'd ask you teachers to not have that imposter syndrome of, oh, I wish someone could come up with that and then just wait for someone to come up with it. If you found a problem, then I'm sure you could probably find the solution. Now interesting story, the Sims software that lots of you will use for uh, registration, for awkwardly finding out um, telephone numbers of parents when you have to call them, for uh, bloated ways of getting class lists, that was invented by uh, teachers solving a problem, needing to want, wanting to have an electronic register and now of course it's an enormous, enormous company making several million each year. Now, I'm not suggesting you try and make a million or several million, but there was a problem there. They needed to move over from paper registers to electronic registers. And they saw that need and they filled that need and, and noticed something that is common around problems is that if you have that problem, then there are probably loads of other people who've got the same problem as you, but haven't vocalized it. Think about the things that you are trying to solve the whole time in class. There are loads of things that probably need some help and some form of support. uh, And it's highly recommended. I would highly recommend coming up with some solutions, coming up with some ideas, and using that concept that Walt Disney had of imagineering. So that would be imagining that you have a really large, um, just a, a limitless, limitless imagination what you need is this so that's the imagine part and then in here is imagineering is engineering it backwards engineering it back down to earth so coming up with a solution and I'm thinking about the problems in classrooms that I've had in the past and thinking about the things that I've done that would try and avoid those problems one of those is table creep now if you're in a primary classroom as I'm sure lots of the listeners are uh, you will recognize this feature that table creep happens we tend to have carpeted floors in primary classrooms in the UK and secondary tend to be tiled or laminate as far as I'm aware I could be wrong the idea be- behind carpeting in primary classrooms is so that you can get the children sitting on the carpet um, of course when you're in year five and year six it's less common Uh, less popular Uh, but I would hazard a guess as that's why the carpets are there and what will happen over the course of a day or a week is that the tables will slowly creep forward and forward and forward until you can discover yourself pinned against the whiteboard um, or the front of the classroom by tables that have crept forward by half a meter uh, in sometimes a day Now, I've seen lots of solutions to this, uh, lots of temporary fixes. Uh, Some teachers have made um, dotty markers. Uh, Some teachers have used uh, coloured masking tape. Uh, And I'm really surprised that someone hasn't made uh, basically table breaks and put table breaks on or suggested, created something that sits on the table's uh, legs, the feet of the table, so that they don't drift forward. But I'd really love to hear your suggestions for things that um, would stop tables from creeping forward. Uh, I'm fascinated by suggestions and ideas that people could have to uh, stop that from occurring because, of course, there's going to be a solution out there that's going to be perfect. And I wonder wonder if anyone has actually come up with that solution yet. It'd be an interesting one to solve, certainly. Anyway, if you can get in touch, you can you can do that by clicking on PodBeam Live if you're listening to this on the browser, or you can message me uh, on Twitter. I'm going to have a quick look at the, I'm imagining reams of messages I've got on Twitter. I'll have a quick look. Uh, if you are on Twitter, then uh, I am at Mr. Lockyer, M-R-L-O-C-K-Y-E-R, uh, and uh, I'm fairly responsive on it, in fact, sometimes it's better to find, to get in contact with me on Twitter than anywhere else because it's such a viable and useful uh, platform. Um, and yes, I'm still calling it Twitter, I don't think I can call it anything else to be honest, I don't think I can call it anything else. It's like Prince and Symbol, I don't think I can call it X formally Twitter, it just seems ridiculous. Um, Anyway, I'm looking for your ideas, your suggestions. So if you do have a suggestion, please please do share it. Please do come up with um, your ideas uh, and let me know because that's one thing we'll try and solve. In fact, I'm going to ask it on Twitter. I'm going to type out that exact message. How do you solve table creep? in your classroom. Now I'm going to assume that for GDPR reasons I'll read out anything that's public because that means it's searchable by Google Um, but I'll just read out the exact uh, person's name if anyone responds to that question uh, we'll find out and see if anyone responds or not. I'm thinking maybe they might although it's Thursday, it's, it's half past six, people are fairly broken by now, I'd imagine. Uh, Anyway, we're going to see if we can solve table creep um, in the next 70 minutes or so. It could be possible. It could be possible, but we don't know. Uh, Coming up, we've got some features where I challenge myself against AI, and I'm going to let you see if you can decide um, which passage was written by AI and which passage was written by me. Uh, And of course, if you think the passage written by me was written by AI, then I've got Uh, A lot of problems to tackle. Uh, But for now, uh, here's another feature. Teacher hacks. Yeah, teacher hacks. Um, You don't end up being a teacher for 25 years without coming up with a few little tips for success. Uh, And this this one I came up with about five years ago. Uh, And it was one of those ones that made me think, why did I not do that 20 years ago or oh, 25 years ago, even? Um, and it is the plus one book. Uh, so, this is a, a teacher hack that teacher, teachers can use primary, secondary, EYFS, even FE and HE. Um, and it is simply this if you have students who have to use a particular book and you pre- prepare those books, then prepare one more and instead of putting the student's name on it, put your name on it. So everyone has a book, including you. Uh, now this is when the visualizer comes in incredibly handy. Everything that you ask the children to do, you do in your teacher book. Uh, if you're asking them to lay something out, you lay it out in your teacher book, stick it under the visualizer, and they can see really quickly, really clearly Exactly what they have to do. It's a really handy way of explicitly showing this is what I'm after, this is my expectation. Can you see how I've done it? In addition, and here, this is the silver bullet of this um, task. There are two great features to doing this. The first one is that if a child is off uh, when you're doing it, then normally you would have offered them a book from a child. Normally one of you are more able and say, uh, look at what Rosie did, Just, just do that or recreate that. But now you have a teacher copy. This is an absolute expectation and they can grab the teacher copy. Rosie can carry on with her work and they know exactly what to do, how to stick the sheet in if you haven't stuck it in for them. The other great thing, and this is when it really, really pays off, is year two of the same year group. You can absolutely use that book as an example to your class and say, This is what we're doing this year. It also prompts you and reminds you of the things that you did, uh, and maybe you want to riff off that. Um, I have found, especially in the humanities, especially in things like art and design, design and technology, geography, um, and to a lesser extent, history, that my plus one book has been so useful in terms of. Drawing on what I did in the past and showing a high expectation for the children in the current classroom. As I said, it costs next to nothing because you can just use an exercise book. It's the same exercise book as the other children are using in class, but it's absolutely fantastic in terms of looking at their ideas uh, and the way that you want to present something, but really, really efficiently. God, that that is the first. That is the first. Part of this show that I feel really resonates as a teach me type item. Uh, and as a little flashback, teach meets uh, were those things that you would go to where you'd come away, you'd hear 20 ideas and come away with one or two and go, I'm going to try those tomorrow. Uh, and I feel like the teacher hack of the plus one book is a really, really good one for you to explore. Uh, and you can take this on tomorrow and I, I should tell you that that came from me constantly using the child who is absent as the demo book so if there's a child absent you'd get their book passed forward to you and you'd use that one and that'd be the book that you would use as the demo and I suddenly realized that my demos were scattered all over in in lots of different children's books and definitely not in the child who is always ill's book and um, so I thought well why not always have a demo book and that's where the plus one book came from um, we've got another advert from one of our new sponsors now. Um, it's, a, it's a fantastic idea. I haven't tried it yet, so I can't, I can't endorse it completely. Um, but um, this is from the team at Foodfling. Foodfling Food Fling, meal kits designed by teachers for teachers. Simply grab the Food Fling bag from your fridge, throw it in the microwave for a couple of minutes, then pour the baking hot ingredients straight into a bowl where you can eat it at leisure whilst falling asleep watching Netflix. Pour any remainder into that strange Tupperware container you've got hidden at the back of the cupboard and take it into work the next day. Food Yeah, thank you very much, Food Fling. I really appreciate that. Um, now, uh, it's, there's been a lot going on in the news uh, recently in terms of education. Uh, lots of things have been published recently and the government have made a big change on uh, one use and single use vapes. And the team at uh, Teach Talk Radio have produced a news broadcast here that I'm going to play for you now. Um, it's spearheaded by, by some other of our sponsors. Um, and included in that is John Cat. And I would recommend that you have a pen and paper handy or use Notion. See what I did there? Uh, to write down the discount code because you can get 20% off John Cat. Um, a nice fat discount and who doesn't like a discount on books, on books Uh, anyway, here is uh, the news for this week
0: This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
2: Introducing Eaton X from Eaton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel.
3: the Joseph Roundtree Foundation published their report poverty 2024 among many of its startling conclusions was that one in five people that's 22 percent of the UK population were in poverty in 2021 to 22 that's 14.4 million people 8.1 million were working-age adults 2.1 million were pensioners 4.2 million were children aged between 3 and 10. And overall, this represented the longest period of increased poverty in over 20 years. These figures also show that 6 million people were in what the Roundtree Foundation describes as very deep poverty. This week, widely reported, was the government's plan to ban disposable vapes. The Guardian carried a story earlier in the week of a head teacher who revealed that a vape detector he had installed in school bathrooms went off more than 100 times on the first day. He also recalled his horror when a student passed out after sharing a vape with someone else before school. Speaking to head teachers up and down the country, I don't think there's one school where young children are not addicted to vapes. He is quoted as saying. The Times Educational Supplement, on the 24th of January, carried a story that would hardly surprise many teachers. With the headline that just four in ten teachers found their last inset day useful, 41% of classroom teachers questioned in a survey described their last inset day as either somewhat useful or very useful, while a third said it was not particularly useful, according to figures published by Teachers Tab. The findings were based on 9,000 teachers across England. Surveyed during the autumn of 2023, and a part of a report highlighting shortcomings in current teacher professional development. However, almost a fifth of teachers, 17%, said they would prefer to receive £2,500 worth of CPD vouchers over, or rather instead of, a £1,000 pay rise. The conclusion being that teachers value professional development if they have more control over its delivery. According to The Guardian this week, London councils are preparing to mothball schools to avoid a boom or bust cycle of closures. This is primarily caused by a falling birth rate, higher housing costs, and the aftermath of Brexit which saw an exodus of young families from the London area. This week in the House of Commons, Gillian Keegan, the Education Secretary, was accused of filibustering by the speaker Lindsay Hoyle, who admonished her for her lengthy, time-wasting answers to questions over exams and crumbling schools. The speaker said, we're having this problem every time, and it's topical questions. They're meant to be short and punchy. And finally, this week saw the conclusion of the BET Education Technology Conference in London at the Excel Center, among the many exhibitors you will have found if you'd gone there the teachers talk radio exhibit with Tom Rogers and other teachers talk radio presenters conducting interviews recording videos which you can find on YouTube and generally creating awareness of the work of teachers talk radio this has been your teachers talk radio news with John Gibbs
1: Well, there's the news there, and um, I'd like to um, be the front of the queue to just give a really big pat on the back to uh, Gillian Keegan because she is um, she's incredibly hardworking, incredibly hardworking, and I don't think that I don't think we say well done enough to her about how hardworking she is. I um, it's very easy to be glib about it, and I'm not being glib about it. Um, I think that you know. We are hard working as well uh, as teachers uh, and I'd imagine Gillian Keegan would be the same. I'd imagine she's there um, marking at night, um, preparing briefings, uh, just like we're preparing lessons. I'd imagine that she cares deeply for her constituents the way that we care deeply for our pupils. I'd imagine she reads, um, around her subject in, in order to improve her, herself and her presentation uh, and imagine that she works hard to maintain a really professional steely control um, because she is a representative um, for the public and uh, and I think it's a public front-facing position and she's incredibly hard working so um, thank you Gillian Keegan for your hard work um, and I'm sorry that we don't say it enough in all honesty um yeah so thanks thanks jill as i like to or jilly jilly sometimes i call her as well uh, when we're texting um when we do text i i know that she definitely doesn't vape um and it seems like the government are finally clamping down on single-use vapes um i know that from my own uh, children's experience um they said that walking into their senior school toilets is like walking into stars in their eyes. Um, because it is so thick with the smell of, um, vapes and smoke, uh, and especially the, the alcohol poppy nature of vapes. I mean, let's face it, they are designed for children. They it. Des- they've been designed to be attractive to children. Um, and it's kind of worrying and I'm speaking as an ex vapor myself. Um, just how much of a gimmick they've been designed by to, to make them look like highlighters. I'd imagine that some students do hide them in their pencil cases because they look so much like highlighters. Um and 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 it's and it's not not been quick enough to to ban them. I don't understand. I don't understand why we still have paper straws for our McDonald's milkshake which, let's face it, only lasts roughly half a medium. You need two paper straws. And yet, uh, vapes are plastic and used once and disposable. It makes no sense to me. So just even from an ecological point of view, I'm 100% behind banning uh, vaping, single-use vapes especially. Um, I think it's really, really important. Uh, Now, uh, on to another feature. In the dock. I appreciate listening back to that that it does sound like I said in the dark but I'm talking about in the dock so secondary colleagues might talk about retrieval practice or having the children in rows or seating plans or whether phones should be used uh, in class in primary we don't have seating plans everyone tends to stay in the same seat because we have them all day every day um, we have solved the whole do they use phones to not use phones situation with one fell swoop we just say no phones and um, weirdly it works fine for primary I'm not sure why secondary are having such a paddy about it all the time I'm not sure I mean the children come to school with phones they put them in a box they don't use them all day we seem to manage Um, I'm not sure what happens in secondary perhaps someone in secondary can explain that but it does seem quite curious um, yeah, so we're talking about the more the more integral issues, and this week's in the doc we're putting the use of crocodiles as use of inequality symbols. So uh, I'm drawing on a few uh, blog posts here, as well as my own personal experience, and then I am going to tell you a story uh, and give you my view, uh, and then I'll let you decide whether you think it's a it's a good thing or not. I might even throw it open to a poll because I've had a lot of responses already on Twitter to table creep, including one person that says, what is table creep? Uh, So clearly not primary Um, or someone who doesn't have carpet in their classroom. Um, so the use of crocodiles for inequality symbols. I'm just going to explain what that actually means. Uh, In maths, uh, we have a pair of symbols that are known as lesser than and greater than lesser than, more than, but we should use greater than. And they are basically the arrow that points left and the arrow that points right. And these are the inequality symbols. And they're used when something is not equal, hence inequality. Now, the difficulty with the inequality symbols is that they're for some reason, it doesn't stick. The way that the symbols are doesn't stick with children. Rather like, and certainly infant primary teachers will back me up here children can get confused between addition and multiplication because the symbol is basically the same with a small rotation so they can sometimes not recognize it and this happens all the way up to year six and probably beyond Uh, but the inequality symbols remain a real challenge and in lockdown because we had nothing else to do apart from um, get stressed and worry about the future. Um, lots of people debated lots of different things. It became quite heated about different things, but there was a really good blog post from Mr. Morgs um, on Twitter and he didn't write the whole, he didn't write all his views or the whole post or blog post on Twitter. He just put a question out there and lots of people responded to it because he was unsure about um some people being absolutely anti-crocodile and some people being for crocodile now I should explain in terms of crocodile we mean that some teachers teach the inequality symbols as being like crocodiles and the crocodile eating the larger number now if you think about it really carefully an arrow pointing to the left that's the less than symbol if you imagine a number two and then the Less than symbol, and then the number three. Then the crocodile is eating the larger number, so the mouth is open. Seems really really simple. Um, likewise, if it's three greater than symbol two, the crocodile's mouth is open facing left, so it's a right a- right facing arrow, uh, because three is the larger number. Now, to me crocodiles seem to work. I'm quite happy with a hook. I'm quite happy to explain the titles and the meaning behind it. And what I will do in my classes, is I will try and offer a whole range of ways for a child to try and remember something. I think personally, I think it's unfair to just expect a child to remember it in one way. I will offer a whole range of ways and see if something sticks there. I will offer a, a range of hooks, see what really uh, sinks in and is something that can be retrieved quite easily. So I'm fine with using crocodiles. Uh, But Mr. Morgs asked online, he asked, and this is December the 1st, 2020, he said, I don't see the issue with teaching the inequality signs as crocodile mouths. As long as it is clear where the bigger value is placed, why does it matter that they refer to as a hungry crocodile? Now, I think he's making a fair point, and I'm not going to judge the fact that he uses an Android phone uh, for that. Um, but he does ask why there's a problem, and lots of people responded lots of different ways. One person, put, per, it's a trick. It's no measure of understanding, and I'd agree with that. It is a trick. It's absolutely fine if if a trick works and helps you remember something, then uh, it's not a trick. It's it's a shortcut, uh, and I think that's really effective. I can't remember how many times I was weighing out rice and weighing out water until I saw someone say, uh, "Just double the weight of the rice." Now, it took that person 10 seconds to say that, but it has stuck in my mind. And yet I've been weighing rice and weighing out, measuring out water and so forth for so many different years, trying to use so many different techniques and measuring that in different ways. And then someone said it's just twice the amount of weight of water um, for rice. It's stuck in my mind. Another person responded to Mr. Morgue, saying, it doesn't make sense. Why is croc eating numbers? Why does it eat the bigger one? Why not both? Fair point, but a lot of stuff we make, uh, we do doesn't make sense. I mean, our, our job many times does not make sense. I can't think of another job where you refer to a person formally as Mr. or Mrs. Like, Even my doctor uses his first name. Almost everyone uses their first name apart from in school. It's almost like this weird state secret that you know the first name of the teacher. It's kind of bizarre, isn't it? When you take a step back and think about it, it's kind of bizarre. Um, It doesn't matter that the croc's eating numbers. We do weirder things than that. Once a year, we dress up as book characters and it's perfectly normal. I've had to exclude a child once dressed as a pirate. That's not normal. Lots of things that we do in life aren't normal. Um, And I don't think we should worry about the fact that crocodiles are eating numbers. There's a book about talking crayons, for example. If it's a vivid image, you're more likely to to recall it in your long-term memory than if it's something quite bland. So I kind of like the idea that the crocodile will stay in their memories. We're coming back to that. This is slightly longer than a teach me, I'll give you. I'll give you that. I didn't realise how passionate I was about it. Um, another person has put, why t- why not teach the symbol for what it means, though? Why use a metaphor when one isn't needed? Why do it? They aren't crocodiles, are, are they? It's the same point as before. Um, I've got a little phrase that I do in my head uh, for when I'm screwing or unscrewing a screw with a screwdriver. How many times can I say the word screw? Um... Yeah, it's loosey lefty, righty tighty, which means if you want to make it looser, you turn left, uh, and if you want to make the screw tighter, you turn right. Now, you could go uh, anti-clockwise to loosen the screw and clockwise to tighten the screw, but loosey lefty, righty tighty works really, really well, and I say it to myself in my head almost every time. I don't know why. I probably know it now without having to say it, but it's stuck in my head. It's a hook. Now that's a really good blog post, and in the show notes I will link to it. uh, But there was a further blog post written uh, in March last year by Colin Foster, Uh, and Colin Foster doesn't muck around. His blog post is his blog is called Colin Foster's Mathematics Education Blog. Uh, It feels very much like an Amazon product description, doesn't it? We know what it's about, who wrote it, what it's for, Um, and he came up with a little thought experiment about. Changing the, uh, the inequality symbol, so turning the equality symbol equals um, so that the lines are going from uh, bottom to top. And then you could show greater than and less than with a thinner left line and a longer right line. Hard to explain um, over radio, uh, but if you look up Colin Foster's mathematics education block, Blog on crocodiles and inequality signs. He he writes about it really really clearly and comes up with three thought questions. So I'm going to read them to you. Uh, first one is: When is zoomorphizing mathematical symbols okay, and when is it not? When are informal names for symbols okay, and when should they be avoided? And is it ever worth introducing made up informal versions of symbols with learners? Can they be a useful stepping stone towards formal symbols or are they just extra things that learners will have to unlearn later? Um, when I asked about this on Twitter, formerly X, um people really didn't like bus stops as well as the symbol for uh, short or long division. And someone got very, very angry about chips and peas, which is um, base 10.0 sticks and uh, ones as being chips and peas Uh, I don't have a beef with it I don't have a beef with using crocodiles like I said before if it creates a hook then it's a fantastic thing to have so two things to leave you with on this one Uh, firstly uh, the thing that I found most useful in my class is to actually make make one Uh, and you can make this very simply by getting two strips of paper laminating them obviously we're in primary we laminate everything and making a small hole in the middle of them, the centre of each of these long rectangles, uh, and putting split pins in them, and putting that on itself a laminated sheet, so that it makes an equal sign. And then you can show really clearly by pulling together the two ends, a less than symbol, and pulling together the two right ends, the greater than symbol. So you can show that it starts off with the equality symbol, which a lot of children think means and the answer is, rather than is the same as, or is equal to. But it shows that you can make variations upon a theme there. Uh, And the other thing I'd like to do is share the story that I tell my children when they're struggling with this. Uh, And I use um, a conservative methodology, which is to start off with an element of truth and then fabricate wildly uh, to the intended destination. Uh, And it was an article I read once about Uh, an island, and and I think it's called Pig Island, although I could be completely wrong about the name there. Um, But it's an island which is inhabited by pigs. And it doesn't matter that crocodiles don't swim in the sea, and it doesn't matter that there are two islands equidistant from each other which are inhabited by pigs. But I tell the children, and I draw very visually, two islands as great big humps and water in between, and say to the children that every day The pigs on this island, because it's uninhabited, they've got no real threats. They love sunbathing because they've got a lot of skin. They put the sun cream on and they love sunbathing. And sometimes their friends come with them and they lie on the beaches. And they like seeing their friends, so they lie on the same beaches each time. So on the left island, they lie on the beach there. On the right island, they lie on the beach there. So they can see each other. Uh, And yet every day there are crocodiles in the waters and the crocodiles will attempt to capture as many of the pigs as possible and i write the number 2 on the left hand island and 10 on the right hand island and say which crocodile which way is the crocodile going to face which more which is which island is he more likely to get a meal from because we know that the pigs will all run away as soon as the crocodile jumps up so which which island gets more opportunity for that crocodile to get some pigs and the children invariably point out that the right-hand island has got more pigs so the crocodile's got more choice and that's when I draw in the less than symbol in between and show that it's the crocodile's mouth and all the children get the idea straight away, straight away. I then say by accident I uh, missed out one of the digits and I add a 2 on the 2 so now it says 22 and 10 and the children then realise that the symbol can't be that right now, that the crocodile's facing the wrong way. And so we wipe clean and we draw the crocodile, showing the greater than symbol. And we go back and forth and go back and forth. And I emphasise the fact of less than because the less than symbol looks like a slanty L. So there's one more reinforcement. And I talk about these terms and interchange them during the story so we start off with crocodiles then it goes less than crocodiles greater than crocodiles less than less than crocodiles greater than greater than crocodiles until eventually we get to the point where there are two numbers on the board they're both 53 and i say we've got a problem now we've reached an impasse the crocodile doesn't know what to do there's the same number on both islands what could the crocodile do and then I'll take three or four suggestions from the children and hopefully one of the children will suggest get a friend. And then you can draw the equal sign and there are two crocodiles ready and waiting to attack. And it's the equality symbol is equal sign in between because they are equal to each other. So that is uh, my defense of using crocodiles for inequality symbols. Uh, I'd love to know what you think of it. Um, let me know. Um, you can tell me in the show notes if you want to. And if you'd like to, you can uh, tweet me and tell me that I'm completely wrong or absolutely right. Um, totally happy to go either way. Uh, anyway, uh, enough of me for a moment. I'm just going to give you um, a little message from one of our sponsors Hey, education content publishers, we know what it's like. You've got some cracking slides, but they're just too short. Well, worry no more. We can now offer slide float. We can add extra slides, add click-ins so numbers fly in and fly out, up to 20 actions per slide. Get that boring old deck of 13 slides up to 46, so it's more than a minute per slide. Really frustrate teachers, but justify your cost price and make those slides really bloaty. Now, in a little challenge, I'm going to give myself an opportunity to go head-to-head with um, AI, artificial intelligence. Um, I think I am artificially intelligent myself. I'm very good at scooping up a shallow range of information on a wide variety of topics, uh, but no real depth. Uh, So am I artificially intelligent? I guess so. Uh, It is one way of scooping up ideas. Uh, So let's have a look at this feature called... Me, myself, a day I. So what I did was I went to ChatGPT and I gave it a prompt. And I do need to start this segment by saying that I really do like uh, ChatGPT. I use it an awful lot. But I think that a lot of people have realized that there's a there's an absolute value in actually putting in more information on the same thread and building up your prompt. So that it's got a better idea and a better understanding. So you do need to correct Chat. G- GPT, and I'm going to put myself out there and and say uh, that I didn't give it much of a fair advantage. Um, but anyway, uh, here was my prompt for this activity. I started a new uh, chat. I said, "You are a primary teacher in the UK. Create a creative writing task for Year Four based on Edvard Munch's The Scream." And this is what it came up with: Title: The Mystery of the Whispering Woods. Task. Imagine you are on an extraordinary adventure through an enchanted forest known as the Whispering Woods. As you wander deeper into the woods, you stumble upon a mysterious scene that resembles Edward Munch's famous painting, The Scream. The trees seem to be whispering secrets and the sky is ablaze with colours that match the intense emotions captured in the artwork. Your task is to write a creative story about your unexpected encounter in the Whispering Woods. Include details about the strange characters you meet, the eerie sounds that fill the air and the peculiar events that unfold. Use your imagination to describe the sights, sounds and feelings you experience as you explore this magical world. Think about the following questions as you write. What kind of creatures might inhabit the Whispering Woods? Why do the trees seem to be whispering and what secrets are they sharing? How does the atmosphere in the Whispering Woods make you feel? Is there a connection between the mysterious scene and the emotions depicted in this screen? Remember to use descriptive language varied sentence structures and creative vocabulary to bring your adventure to life your story should have a clear beginning middle and end have fun exploring the magical world of the whispering Woods. now I think for a two-line prompt that is actually a really decent task introduction um, it's got some good language it's got some really uh, thought-provoking questions good prompts for the children uh, and it really underlines what the children should be expected to do. Uh, so I've actually got no problem with that at all. I think it's really good. So now what's happened is I have then asked it to come up with 150 words. Um, and I asked it to it several times. So I've got uh, three examples. Uh, one of these is mine, and two of them are written by AI. Um, It's totally up to you uh, to consider which one is which, but I'm going to read all three um, and then I'll leave a little pause and then let you know which one was written by me. Um, So a little challenge for you. So here is example one. It was all I could do to get away from everyone. I didn't know who had destroyed my sketchbook, but it ruined any chance I had of getting the Art Award this year. The wind whipped at my face as I headed for the woods, the icy cold tingling the lines my tears had traced. It was darker than I remembered as I got further into the woods, the branches seeming to climb around and over me, and I pulled my coat further around myself. The creaking branches and angry leaves underfoot filled the background with an urgency. Deeper still I went, animalistic howls and hoots now forming the soundtrack to my frustration. I didn't care, anything to drown out the sadness which had welled up inside me. The path was blocked by a fallen tree. As I clambered over it, a scream came from the right of me. I squinted through the moonlit woodland and could see something. Was it a face? It certainly looked like one. I'm not afraid of you, I shouted at it. I looked up to the sky. I'm not afraid of anything. The scream grew closer. Okay, here's example two. In the heart of the whispering woods where old trees share stories with the wind, I found a strange scene that reminded me of a mysterious painting. The air felt weird and the sky had bright colors like the emotions in the painting, unusual creatures with shining eyes and wings gathered around a magical pool. As I got closer, the trees' whispers got louder, telling stories about forgotten worlds and magical meetings. The ground seemed to vibrate with a strange feeling. The characters in the scene, strange beings with expressive faces, showed emotions like the ones in the painting. The woods had a magical energy, making me curious about the link between this special place and the haunting painting that inspired it. Here's example three. In the heart of the whispering woods, where ancient trees whispered secrets to the wind, I stumbled upon a surreal sight reminiscent of Edward Munch's The Scream. The air crackled with an eerie energy as vibrant hues painted the skies, mirroring the intense emotions embedded in the mysterious scene. A peculiar assembly of woodland creatures with luminous eyes and shimmering wings gathered around a mystical pool. As I approached, the tree's whispers grew louder, revealing tales of forgotten realms and magical encounters. The very ground beneath my feet seemed to resonate with the intense atmosphere, evoking a sense of wonder and trepidation. The characters in the scene, strange beings with expressive faces, emitted emotions that echoed those captured in the screen. The woods pulsed with an otherworldly energy inviting me to uncover the connection between this enchanted realm and the haunting masterpiece that inspired its existence. So those are the three examples of the task that was created by uh, ChatGPT and I'd be really interested to have you think about which one you think was the one written by me and which two were written by AI. the answer is that i wrote the first one and the second two were written by chat gpt now i noticed with the second uh, example which is the first one i read out to you uh, that they'd written that it used much of the words much of the prompts um that were in the original um creative task so i asked chat gpt to not use any of the keywords and and to rewrite that passage. And uh, this is what it came up with. And uh, it made me laugh because you've got two examples there. You've got children who will exactly copy your shared right or your modelled right, like word for word. They might change one word, but that's it. And there are the children who have inhaled a thesaurus, swallowed a synonym uh, collection. And this is the second attempt. This absolutely cracked me up. Within the heart of the murmuring forest where the age-old sentinels softly exchanged their tales with the breeze, I chanced upon another worldly tableau reminiscent of the emotive tapestry found in a mysterious painting. The atmosphere hummed with an unearthly vitality as a kaleidoscope of colours danced across the celestial canvas, echoing the fervent sentiments captured in the enigmatic depiction a peculiar congregation of sylvan entities adorned with iridescent gazes and ethereal wings congregated around a magical wellspring. As I drew near, the arboreal confidences crescendoed, unravelling narratives of bygone dimensions and fantastical rendezvous. The very earth beneath reverberated with a palpable ambience, invoking both awe and apprehension. The denizens of this extraordinary scene, curious entities with visages that spoke volumes, emanated emotions akin to the spectral tableau that had inspired this enchanted realm. The woods pulsed with an arcane energy, beckoning me to unveil the nexus between this mystic domain and the haunting masterpiece that birthed its existence. Now... I can promise you that almost every single primary school teacher has read um, a piece of writing like that, where the child has been told to uh, level up their writing, improve their dialogue and um, language. And they have just gone, OK, I'm not going to use the same word ever again. Uh, And it's brilliant. I absolutely love it. Um, Made me laugh. Thanks, ChatGPT. Um, A lot of credit to you. Now look at that. I am slightly behind on my schedule uh, and I've got to apologize to um, one of our uh, sponsors. So I'm just going to play one of our sponsor adverts. How do you get parents off the WhatsApp groups and onto your school messaging service? Use Zing Purple. We know that you like to dumb down your messaging to parents. So we just use emojis. Use Zing Purple
0: when dubbing down couldn't get any worse
1: seems like a really good app so um just i've just had a quick look at the app it's really really clever basically you can speak to parents um, send messages to them um but it's all done in emojis we know that parents are incredibly busy we know that they don't have chance to uh, read actual words so it basically you can put in something like a a letter about a day trip, and it turns it all into emojis for them so they can just read the emojis, respond really quickly with a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Um, really like the idea, so thank you Zing Purple for sponsoring us, um, thank you for that idea, I saw them at Bet, um, and uh, yeah, smiley face, smiley face, um, smiley face. Um, now we, earlier on in the show, we were talking about coming up with ideas uh, in a, an episode or a segment. Called copper bottoming, and uh, I'm just going to nip to Twitter and see what people have come up with in terms of suggestions. So I'm going to just click on the question, and I've got 13 responses, which is amazing. So uh, Agri Emma um, has put, What is table creep? and I've said this is uh, tables creeping forward from the front of class over the course of a day. Um, And they've said about students, chancing there are moving seats, uh, which is possible. Uh, Me on the Hill has put, I think it's impossible unless you get the children to line them up again at lunchtime and at the end of the day. Uh, Dame Random Teacher has put, I did use cable ties, but a child decided to extract it from the table leg. They then tethered their own finger with it. They then cut the end of the tie so it couldn't be easily removed. Children stress test every great idea, which is very true. Kate uh, Victoria has put cable tied to the table legs together, I know, I know. Mrs M has put cable ties. Uh, Alistair T.L. Lankoia has put uh, cable ties. Cable ties are very popular, aren't they? Greystone93 has said, I used to use those little coloured Velcro circles you can get. Put one under, each corner, one under each corner of the table. Older kids can move the tables back if they start to creep. Nowadays, I just shove them back into position myself. And... Uh, Uh, Emma has put uh, gaffer table lines on the floor to show a plan and cable ties, groups of tables together. Uh, Mrs Kate Robb has said, I've been known to lose the plot with this and use a hot glue gun and Velcro as well as cable ties. It worked great. I'm assuming for that one that she's using a hot glue gun on the uh, tables rather than the children. Uh, Plastic feet on a wooden parquet floor works for us, says someone imagine Claire says I'm here for the answers my class this year are terrible I'm tempted to moonlight at a furniture removal firm given how often I'm shifting tables and chairs Uh, and Mrs Egan Mrs K Egan has said so funny to see this tonight after this afternoon's conversation table creep is a thing and then someone else has said tell him to sit at the back which is very good um so my goodness what a great response um I love that so thank you very much for people participating in that Uh, really, really nice ideas. Um, Now, I don't know about whether your school uses um, online training providers or not. I know there's a whole range of online training providers. Uh, What they do is they they run a whole host of the regulatory and mandatory courses that you might need to do, um, fire, health and safety, food handling, um, being safe on stairwells and staircases, um, organising things like that. Um, I find the content really good. I don't find it dry at all. I find it really animated. And it definitely feels when you're watching these um, videos and watching them at normal speed, not on double speed, just to answer the quiz quickly. Uh, When you're watching these, you get the sense that these people are passionate about their subject. Absolutely passionate. You can tell from the way that they're expressive. They're enthusiastic. They're not reading from a script. they're, They're reading from the heart, guys. Um, and I really love that. I really love the fact that they are so passionate about their their subject. Um, at at um, a previous school, we used something called Train Station, which is really, really good. really both a clever name for um, the website. Um, and also the training was really good, really thorough. Um, it definitely didn't have a little quiz at the end that you Google the answers for. You definitely didn't fast forward the video to get to the very end. Um, so trainstation.com. UK i think it is i'd highly recommend it um anyway um i was listening to it the other day and uh, or watching it rather I wasn't listening to it; I was fully concentrating fully concentrating on the training that i had to do um, and uh, i thought that this advice was really good so i'm just going to share it now with you so this is from train station uh, i think it's .co.uk Unit 3
0: attaching items to classroom walls.
1: There are generally speaking three or four types of attachment or fixment that you can use to enable your display to stay up, whether permanently or temporarily. You can use drawing pins, map pins, blue tack or staples. I would advise for a permanent display to use staples. However, BluTac is an option that you can use for temporary displays. The choice between drawing pins and map pins may be a challenge for some people. However, map pins when they fall on the ground are quite secure in terms of treading on them. Whereas conventional drawing pins will tend to stand pin upright and either embed in the heel of your shoe or be used for pranks by pupils. Therefore we would advise you to use map pins where possible. Just mm, yeah. So, yeah, there's some training there. I don't know if you've found it useful, but certainly uh, if you are having trouble sleeping, uh, I'd highly recommend Train Station uh, because it really does help you drift off quite gently. Um, And then of course you can google the answers for the quiz at the end that you have to submit um now i'd like to talk to you about uh an observation i've had so uh here is observable Uh, so i'm going to talk to you about an observation that i had i did have a longer observation but i'm looking at the, the time i'm I'm gonna cut it fine I'll be honest with you and and this is this observation was by a Ofsted inspector it was in my third year of teaching and uh, in those days the Ofsted inspectors would rate your lesson always give you feedback they'd give you a number and I can't remember it so long ago that I can't remember the the number that you got for the lesson or whether you got a range of numbers, um, but you definitely got a grading. Uh, and it was a male inspector who watched a lesson and gave me an awful lot of time afterwards. Um, this is this is the period of time when um, Ofsted uh, cared, where it was legal to care, and uh, it gave me a lot of time and, and it was a break time and I said I'm really keen for feedback. Um, I was third year teacher, fourth year teacher, um, and he said, "Well, how do you think the lesson went?" And I said, "I think it went well." And he he said, "Can I ask a question?" Which is never a never a, a positive moment <laughs> in an observation when you're young. It's like this question is going to be loaded, isn't it? But of course, I was like, I I wasn't, um, I wasn't. Immune to taking on board suggestions and ideas and improvements, um, and he'd never seen me teach before. He knew nothing about me, so it's actually quite welcoming. And I said, "Yes, what's the question?" And, I, and he said, "For how much of the time do you think that all of the children were on task?" And it's a cracking question, and it's one that I've thought about an awful lot since. And I probably, if I dug deep, I could probably find out his name and thank him because it's a really good question in terms of engagement, which I'm not sure if it's a banned word or not. Sometimes it's banned, sometimes it's not. But engagement, I feel, from my perspective, is fully on board in the learning. And he's, he asked me for how much of the time did I think all of the class were fully on board with the learning? and he went through the lesson and detailed where he noticed that the the children weren't on board with the learning where the task wasn't perfectly designed for the children's uh, learning expectations where it was a doing task rather than a learning task and he noticed where i hadn't differentiated and he did this all very kindly uh, with thought not menace um, and with real understanding and care and attention. and I was enormously grateful, and I can't uh, genuinely can't remember if I passed or failed that lesson. I can't remember if I got a good grade or not. I'm fairly sure I didn't. I'm fairly sure I either got a low pass or a fail. In fact, it's so long ago, I can't even remember if you did pass or fail then. But I haven't forgotten that, um, and it's occurred to me in my mind and in my contemplation about that, uh, that you do actually need to think about your lesson objective, like um, the message in a stick of rock, that you should be able to go into anyone's lesson at any point and in 30 seconds be able to identify or fairly, fairly quickly work out what the lesson objective is. Um, unless they're doing something really tangential, you should be able to work that out quite quickly. And I'm reminded of that observation because um, a close friend told me that they'd speak- spoken to a new colleague in their organization and they were much more keen on learning blinks rather than learning um, walks and lesson observations lesson blinks and they said two or three minutes regularly in other teachers classes has far more effect than half an hour or even 45 minutes sitting watching someone's lesson Uh, and I really really I, I. I, that resonates with me quite clearly. I think that's a really good way of modelling something, and and I like it deeply. Uh, so learning blinks and lesson blinks. I even like the name, to be honest. It's a gimmick, but yeah, fine. I'll deal with a gimmick. Um. Anyway, that was a, a, a short digression about an observation. I want to talk about uh, something else now, uh, which is close to my heart, and that is this. Spineless. Uh, Now, I might be shooting myself in the foot here, uh, especially since this podcast is sponsored by John Cat, who are fine educational publishers. Uh, In fact, I am an educational author myself. I've written several books on education, and I've got one coming out with John Cat. And so I say this really, really carefully. You can get an awful lot from a non educational book as an educationer. Because What you're doing is getting something from the real world, not teaching world, but the real world, and then adjusting it to the liminal life that teachers lead. Um, So I'm an avid reader. I always have a few books on the go. I always have a book in every location. So I've got one at at work, one at home, one by my bed, and one in the car. That's known as the flood book. And I always, almost always carry my Kindle around, um, much to everyone's chagrin, and i Last year, I read 65 books, so just just over a book a week, basically. I had a big hit in the summer when I went away. It's my favourite thing to do. It calms me down, genuinely calms me down, and I read a whole range of things. Lots of crime thrillers, lots of contemporary fiction, um, lots of um, what's known in Waterstones as smart thinking, but we could call it popular psychology. Uh, and the book that I'd like to mention today is one that I finished recently called Steal Like an Artist by Austin Cleon. Now you might recognize Austin Cleon as being a bit like Hugh McLeod who is at Gaping Void on Instagram and Twitter uh, who writes very very small pithy messages um, which somehow resonate with me and they're really really good in terms of small philosophies and thinkings for life uh, and I read this book because I'd read it uh, a little while back, um, but a class I've been working with, I find it very difficult to cope with other people having their ideas uh, and get very, very possessive about people sharing their ideas and copying their ideas. And so I have talked an awful lot about people stealing ideas and letting, letting these ideas be stolen and, um, and that it's an honour for someone to steal your idea. Because what it does is it says that your idea has a value to them that is better than their value. And still like an artist is a really good, small, short manifesto, if you like, of on creativity, on being creative. And it talks an awful lot about uh, thinking outside the box without ever using that awful phrase. talks about using your hands, uh, dipping out of being online, going online. Uh, being boring and getting stuff done, shipping, all of this. So you can read the book in under an hour, really, really quick, easy read. And yet it's a really good read that will stay with you. Uh, I've got some highlights and these are are some quotes uh, on stealing. Here's the first one. Um, This is Gary so says the cartoonist. And it says, if you have one person you're influenced by, everyone will say you're the next whoever but if you rip off a hundred people everyone say, will say you're so original and that really resonated with me in terms of if you are a teacher wanting to improve then the best thing you can do is go around and see the experts in different things. If you're not strong on questioning go and find the person who's a great questioner. If you're not great on displays put up a display with the person who's a real artist. Go around and cherry pick at your school and beyond of the real talent because that is the best way of improving honestly it's the absolute best way of improving um, and you can absolutely become someone who is your own true character uh, rather than trying to become a replica of a teacher that you really admire and like really important to do that Um, I really like that concept here's another one that uh, he's, he's put this is Conan O'Brien you know, it is our failure to become our perceived ideal that ultimately defines us and makes us unique. And this resonated in terms of the fact that I've had quite a few students over the years and I teach in a very unusual way. Um, I don't think it's particularly conventional. Uh, I don't think it's particularly effective for someone else to recreate. And yet when you have a student, what they'll try and do is they'll look at the way you teach and go, okay, this is the model for how I teach. Um, So I'll just try and um, impersonate. Uh, and, And you shouldn't impersonate. You shouldn't imitate. You should take from cherry pick and refine yourself and look at the things that you can't do that you're observing the person you want to be like can do. And look at the way that things that you can't do and think about how you could do them not like them. And by doing so, you become a better teacher yourself because you're really refining your practice. You're thinking, this is something I'm not strong on. I've tried that method. That doesn't work. I need to problem solve this. I need to work out how I can do it. And it's it's like everything. You have to try lots of different techniques before you find the thing that works for you. Um, And I think that's really, really good. It is our failure become our perceived ideal that ultimately defines us and makes us unique and here's the last quote that I really liked um, and this is actually from Austin Cleon himself it says creativity isn't just the things we choose to put in it's the things we choose to leave out and this resonates deeply in terms of a concept that I had a few years ago and I regularly try out and that is a learning lent And that is, can I teach this without the whiteboard? Can I teach this without making a single photocopy? Can I teach this without the internet? Can I teach this without using a video? Um, And I think this this resonates especially with really tough stuff to teach. So for example, if you're teaching Buddhism uh, in primary RE, there's some really challenging concepts there. And it's really easy to stick on a video and hope that the children take that in and absorb it. It's much more challenging for you to consider teaching a tough topic without a video, and thinking, well, okay, I, I'm not gonna use the video, so how can I make sure that this information gets across? And there, that that there, in that moment, what you're actually doing is planning. You're really thinking carefully about how you can impart information that maybe you've even just then learnt into the children's long-term memory and it's really challenging but we went into teaching because it's challenging we could probably earn more money working in Lidl but we choose not to why because we like working with young people and actually thinking using our brains rather than stacking shelves I'm not disputing that what they do is useful and worthy and should be celebrated but we chose teaching in the same way that they chose to work at Little, we chose because we wanted that mental acuity and we wanted to stimulate ourselves with challenge Um, and so do try that I'll read that quote again creativity isn't just the things we choose to put in it's the things we choose to leave out so perhaps tomorrow you can not use the internet for one lesson or not use a video that you might have normally used or not used uh, PowerPoint for example um uh, now I, of course, have a few more things that I'd like to say, but I've I appear to be running out of time. What a shock. Uh, so what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to move on to uh, another little element that I created. I'm just going to find it on my bank and it is this reset wood. Um, So I am someone who luckily only teaches three days a week. Uh, I do various different projects on the other two days. Um, And if I'm ever stressed or wound up, uh, I walk to the woods nearby. Now, I'm very lucky I live on the outskirts of London. I've got a wood that's probably 10, 15 minutes walk, five minutes run away. Uh, and it just gives me chance to recharge so the other day um, I went for a walk and recorded what it was like out there so this is a, a live little moment uh, a, if you like an extended advert for encouraging you to go for a walk in the woods so I'm in the woods now it's uh, about three o'clock Christmas day, it's cold but not not horrendously so. Sort of crisp. So the leaves are underneath. All kinds of browns. With their uh, hints of green, smudges of green coming through. Just at the top of a hill. It's actually quite beautiful. And I'm walking along, trying to remember the name of that movement that you get where the trees in the distance aren't moving so much but the trees in the foreground are but it's nice to look at them in the different barks lots of silver birch which of course leaps out because it's that mottled white and grey and green which I love so much sort of the bark bursting at the seams there the colouring can see the light just shining on one side of the bark. It's quite beautiful. The sky is blue. Barely a cloud in the sky. And it's just the edge. The edge of winter now. Spring's desperate to burst through. And I don't blame it. You can You hear the road in the distance barely a bird, but then I'm in their territory making a lot of noise, so I don't blame them. I'm just passing a tree now, which has got lots of branches on it, obviously it used to have been a den or some sort of base that had been made by children, and now it's just been left to the elements, which is kind of lovely, I wonder if there are any animals who take shelter in there. I can just about hear the birds. Really good, just to take some time out and see what's out there. Get a real recharge. And of course, the brilliant thing is absolutely free. This is just costing me time, possibly the most precious resource we have. I feel myself being slightly out of breath. It is quite hilly, but quite quite lovely little exercise for you if you're at home just find your home on a map Google Maps whatever scroll out until you can find a wood see how close it is to you some of you might have one on your doorstep others might be a short drive but go and do some bathing get a little natural reset i found that i can solve problems that have been buzzing around in my head during a sleep in the shower in a wood it's worth investigating i should clarify two things there i am i don't sleep or shower in the wood um and secondly I can't believe how out of breath I sound. I genuinely am fitter than I sound there. I sound like someone who that was their last recording before they collapsed of some sort of lung injury. Um, I can only apologise. I didn't realise how puffy I was. So uh, I'm going to borrow someone else's lungs next time I do that walk. Um, I'm hoping I'm not too puffy today for you. Uh, Now, we're coming up to nearly the end of the show. So I'm just going to play our uh, sponsor adverts just one last time. Uh, so many thanks to our sponsors.
0: This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
2: Introducing Eaton X from Eaton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving and many more. Offer the EtonX curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more.
1: Hey, education content publishers. We know what it's like. You've got some cracking slides, but they're just too short. Well, worry no more. We can now offer Slide plate. We can add extra slides, add click-ins so numbers fly in and fly out, up to 20 actions per slide. Get that boring old deck of 13 slides, up to 46, so it's more than a minute per slide. Really frustrate teachers, but justify your cost price and make those slides really bloaty. So, uh, three messages there. Uh, Thank you to our sponsors. Um, So... If you are, again, uh, very keen on reading educational books, then John Cat is a brilliant publisher and you get a big fat 20% off um, buying, those, buying those books by using that code. And, of course, it does support the um, Teacher Talk Radio podcasts uh, and show service. So I really would encourage you to do that if you can. Uh, the other mention there is, uh, of course, Deck Bloat and uh, Slide Bloat, um, fantastic service that... Um, really fills up it's especially i think it's educational companies um they use slide bloat an awful lot um if you just want to be able to teach one thing really effectively uh, you can might have that on one slide but slide bloat manages to make that one slide become seven slides uh, drawing it out with visuals uh, and graphics things being revealed things flying in and out that make it really awkward to teach Uh, and really hamper your flow and delivery as a teacher. Uh, So if you're a big fan of uh, slide decks being far, far larger than they need to be, uh, with far more features than they need to have, um, akin to asking a year five child to create some slides for you on their hobby, uh, then do check out Slide Bloat. Um, They're really, really good at what they do. Uh, Fantastic. Um, They definitely put certainly put a little twinkle in my eye um so it, it's it's coming up for 90 minutes finishing off um i've covered lots that i would like to have spoken about i've missed a few things um i really would appreciate the feedback uh, if there were things that you liked if there were things that you want me to talk more on or less than in line with uh, teach Meat, there is some food left over. So if you'd like to go over to the tables, you'll feel free to take some bits with you. Uh, there's also a few freebies that we had in the uh, raffle that you're more than welcome to take. And then we'll probably head to the pub afterwards uh, and you might do some mild flirting with that girl who teaches economics at the school that you've just been to. Um, really, really appreciated your time uh, listening to this broadcast i hope it's been of use i hope that you've not um become too bored and uh i'm frankly astounded that you stayed with me to the end um finally i'd like to say a big thank you to a big influence of mine in terms of this sort of broadcast which is adam buxton and there was a confession on fess hole on twitter and it, it said the last person uh that told them that they Loved them was Adam Buxton at the end of his podcast. And I'd like to continue that tradition. So I'm going to say, I love you. Goodbye.
0: You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.